Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for joining the tribe. So last week, we took a moment and spent some time focusing on the elusive nature of joy and how strange it is that we're invited in the scriptures to discover the extraordinary nature of joy in the midst of trials and hardships. And that narrative that provokes us to see life differently leads right into a conversation about wisdom. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he says in verse 5, If anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I I, I love the way that this is laid out for us. And there are a few things in life that come without conditions. Have you noticed that? That most of the things in life that seem to be extraordinarily attractive, they come at a price. And in fact, the longer you live, the more you will find yourself rejected when you are trying to get something you want. I'm talking about loans. (laughs) And whether it's a car loan or a house loan or a student loan, I know in my own life how many times I've applied for loans just to be told that I did not qualify. And, of course, you always have someone kind of guiding you through the process who lies to you and tells you that it's going to all work out okay. And, and they'll tell me, no, they need this more information. Well, no, they need a little bit more of, of, of data here. And say, well, we need to get these papers and these documents. I cannot tell you how many times I have just put everything together just to get one more rejection notice that I do not qualify for a loan. In fact, I remember one time I applied for a loan and they told me, no, I'm not qualified. I'm disqualified from the loan because my name isn't Erwin McManus, it's Jose Garcia. And I go, no, my name isn't Jose Garcia. My name is Erwin McManus. Says, no, you're actually Jose Garcia. And you've been divorced and you have children and you've not been paying your alimony or your child support. And I go, I'm, I'm telling you, I have never been Jose Garcia. I have never been divorced. And uh, my children have taken all my money. So I, there's, there's no way anyone could accuse me of not taking care of them. And I literally was rejected for a Bank of America loan because they said I was someone I was not. 
I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've been rejected when I've applied for something. But most of the time, it's not because they think it's so, I'm someone I'm not. It's because they know exactly who I am. <laughs> and here he says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I mean, how many things in life are offered to you without finding fault? How many things in life are offered to you where they say, look, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what baggage you're bringing with you, it will not disqualify you from this offer of receiving wisdom from God. And not only will you not be disqualified, but he will give it to you in generous proportions. Why is it that something that's offered to us so freely is so oftentimes neglected and rejected? I mean, how many times in your life have you lived without wisdom? One of the ways you can know that is, have you ever had one of those what was I thinking moments? In fact, as I move toward today, thinking through this process, I, I came to that what was I thinking moment in life. That how many times in my life have I been there when I thought, what was I thinking? But I realized that I almost never ask myself what was I thinking until someone comes to me and says, what were you thinking? And when they asked me, what was I thinking? I realized I don't know what I was thinking. Because whatever I was thinking was wrong thinking. And so tonight I want to help you move out of what was I thinking thinking. To never think like that again. So that you can look back on your life and think to yourself, I love the way I was thinking. I was thinking exactly what I needed to be thinking. To be living exactly the way I should be living. To become the person I always wanted to become. And so if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, there's the source, who gives generously to all, there's the promise, without finding fault. There's the criteria. And so there may be other things in life that you've perceived that you are disqualified from. But I want you to know that you've never done anything in your life that will disqualify you from receiving wisdom from God if you ask him. And I love this. But then he unwraps it a little bit more because have you noticed that even though wisdom is offered to us freely it doesn't seem to come that freely and we think it's because god's being stingy with wisdom but it's actually because we're not opening ourselves to receive it the giving is not the problem it's the receiving that's the problem he says but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is unstable and double-minded in all his ways. I love the way Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Now, this is the wisest man who ever lived, we are told. And he says, all this I tested by wisdom, and I said... I am determined to be wise. I like that. That's my determination too. I hope that's yours. I am determined to be wise. And then he says, but this was beyond me. <laughs> Thank you. So I, the wisest man who ever lived is in all my wisdom. I pursued this and I said, I am determined to be wise. And then I decided it was beyond me. And if it's beyond Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived as he pursued wisdom with his wisdom. And he said, I can't get it. What hope do we have? He was on to say, whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? 
So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand, here's the key word, the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I, I think that phrase is really important. The stupidity of wickedness. We don't usually use the word wickedness on a regular basis. You probably only use it in a positive way like wicked. <laughs> but you don't usually go up to people and go, man, you are just like really wicked in a negative sense. In fact, what I find is most of us are not usually making our day-to-day -day decisions between wickedness and whatever the opposite would be, righteousness. Most of us are making our decisions in a much more subtle way. You don't wake up in the morning going, I think I'll do the most wicked, evil thing I can humanly do. <laughs> Normally, you just do something stupid. <laughs> You're not choosing to do something wicked. You're just choosing to do something stupid. And the language of it is very, very subtle. I'm sure no one here has ever thought like this, but have you ever known someone who asked the question, well, is this okay with God? Like, you know, is, is this right or is this wrong? And what I find is that most of us want to live on the line of being okay with God and not being okay with God. Most of us want to live on that line of against the rules, inside the rules. Most of us want to live on that line that if we just slip a little bit to the other side, we go off the cliff. And that's called stupid. See, and what I've learned, having lived a lifetime, is that while Jesus has wonderfully saved us from our sins, he has not saved us from our stupidity. And we're drowning in it. And as long as we live our lives trying to figure out what we can get away with, we're just basically stupid. I cannot tell you how many times people have asked me, well, Erwin, I just want to know, is it sin? Like, I mean, I may look like a priest tonight, but I am not a priest. And, <laughs> and people go, you know, is it? Like, so if I say it's not, then it's okay. And I just over and over again say, it doesn't matter if it's a sin. You just need to ask yourself, is it stupid? <laughs> because if you, if you avoid stupid, you're going to really avoid sin. And you're going to avoid wickedness. But if you just swim in stupid, you're never going to know when you swim into the other river. And you're going to look back and go, man, that was stupid. And then you're going to ask yourself the question, what was I thinking? I remember the day that I invited Jesus to change me. The, the, the night that I desperately cried out to God and said, I, I, I belong to you if you'll take me. I wasn't really sure if they would take I was still trying to figure out, even if God was completely real, but you, you have to start somewhere. So I, I opened myself up to who Jesus was and, and, and became so passionate and zealous and ambitious to live a life that, that was pleasing to this new God I had just met. And I had a really good run. I, I mean, I think I had 10 months of awesome. You, you know, I, I was trying to add that up today. I had about 300 days. Maybe that's an exaggeration. 299 days where I was just awesome. I mean, I was just doing everything I knew that I could do right. And it was so good because I was back in school at a university that knew me before I believed in God. And so all my friends 
when we all went home for the summer and then came back to school, I had this like dramatic transformation in my life. And so from a guy who did not believe in God, who was living a life that validated his non-belief, to now a person who believes in God, now I'm trying to live my life for God. And I, I think I did it really well for 299 days until the last day of my sophomore year before I transferred to the University of North Carolina. And I'm not sure what, you know, what happened. Well, I, I, yeah, I am. <laughs> See, all my friends were kind of getting together and we're all leaving school. And, and somebody said, hey, let's play quarters. I don't know if you know what quarters are. You know, it's like old school. And, and, you know, and, and I was really good at quarters. And I could just bounce that quarter into any cup I wanted. And, and of course, it, when you drop that quarter into someone's cup on the bounce, they have to drink that. And if you mess it, you have to drink. And, and I never had any problem with that 299 days before. But I was just dropping those quarters. And I'm very competitive. And staying sober while everyone else was just drinking, 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 drinking. And then suddenly I had this crisis of ethics. How can I belong to Jesus and contribute to all these people getting drunk? And so instead of stopping, I started throwing the game. And instead of dropping the quarter into their cups, I just purposely lost and started drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking And then suddenly I looked back and thought, what was I thinking? (laughs) And I made such destructive choices in one day that I essentially alienated every single person in my life. I did something that day and that night in sequential order to hurt, wound, betray pretty much every single person who had watched me for 299 days. And I look back, and I know that in that moment, I had all the material I needed to have chosen well. But all I can do is go back and say, where was the wisdom? And if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Have you ever felt that life is full of landmines? And you're you're doing so well, and you're moving forward, you're making progress, and you're living awesome, and then you step on a landmine, it just blows you up. Like, what happened? I was doing so well. I was like optimistic, I was hopeful, I had a lot of faith, I was awesome, and then bam, I hit the landmine. See, most of us, when when our faith falls apart, when our character goes into disarray, when our lives start crumbling, we point to the landmine. It was that circumstance. It was that situation. It was that person. And the reality is, and I want you to see this before you move forward through the landmines, that no landmine can ever cripple you and keep you down. But the grenades that you carry in your chest, when you pull the pin yourself, those are the ones that will destroy you. See, wisdom doesn't so much give you what you need to fight the war in the world outside of you. Wisdom gives you the material you need to fight the war in the world inside of you. Because wisdom is needed far more 
to win the battles inside of us and the battles outside of us. And I can tell you tonight that if you win the battle inside, you will win the battles on the outside. So I'm tired of watching people I love keep pulling the pin and then wondering, why did this blow up? No one ends up in divorce because that was their plan. No one loses their career because they wanted to be self-destructive. No one loses their future because they make a conscious decision. I want to eliminate all the good options for my future. And you'll look back on your life and ask, what was I thinking? And you need to listen to the people in your life who ask you, what were you thinking? And when you hear that word or that phrase in your head over and over again, you need to step back and realize, I need a new kind of thinking in my life. I want to talk to you about a few grenades that we keep pulling the pins off that keep us from living the life that God created us to live. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. See, one of the grenades that you will pull the pin on over and over again in your life is doubt. And you may not realize it, but doubt may be the very material that is keeping you from living the life that God created you to live. Now, I'm not talking about doubt in an intellectual level. See, I think a lot of times people of faith are misunderstood when we talk about faith versus doubt. I think doubting things is a very important thing. It's a very healthy thing. In fact, I'm glad that someone doubted that the world was flat and proved that it was round. It made travel so much easier. (laughs) I'm glad that, that someone woke up one day and doubted that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolves around the earth. I'm glad that there was doubt that made us realize that the earth revolves around the sun because it allowed us to fly to the moon. See, there's a lot of doubt that's really good. It's really healthy. I I mean, I'm full of doubt. I I see things like a McDonald's advertisement that says 100% ground beef. And I'm like, what was it before? What what does that mean? You know, if it's Kentucky Fried Chicken going 100% chicken, I'm like... I ate that for years. What, what, was it bef- what, what was it before? It was 100% chicken. And, and, and that unnerves me. I, mean, I, I buy things that, 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 that lie to me. Organic. What does that really mean? I mean, I remember someone bought me these, these chocolate-covered pomegranates or blueberries. I think were both of those. And blueberries are like a superfood. And dark chocolate is like a superfood. So I thought, I can down these babies and it's all going to be okay. (laughs) Until one day I looked at the package and it said, blueberry flavored dark chocolate. Like, inspired by blueberries? What does that really mean? (laughs) And I realized that that you need to doubt what you're putting in your body. You need to doubt what what you're being told. I mean, have there been things in your life that you once thought were true that you now know are false? See, I know this to be true. There are things in my life I was absolutely certain of. And now I know I was wrong. 
you know, a, a huge part of the problem with politics is that politicians think that it discredits them to admit they were wrong. And so they have to create a narrative as if they were always right, even though they've changed their position 27 times. It would be so much better to go, life is so complicated. I thought this before I got here, and then intelligent people talked to me, and I saw it differently. Wouldn't that be so refreshing? (laughs) But there is a kind of doubt that is crippling, and it's when you doubt God. And it's not even doubting the existence of God. Because if you doubt the existence of God, at least you're thinking about whether God exists. I'd rather have you doubting the existence of God than not thinking about God at all. So if you're here and you're doubting, welcome. One of Jesus' top 12 is known as Doubting Thomas. And Jesus picked him. Doubter, you're in. See, it's, like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The problem isn't the journey of doubting God until you discover God. The problem is when you doubt the goodness of God, when you know God. So what happens is that we move into those what was I thinking moments in our life when we don't believe that God has our best intention in mind, when God is not believed to be trustworthy and true and good. I can tell you're going to make the stupidest decisions of your life when you try to intervene on what God wants to do in your life and you try to do it for yourself. Some of you, you, you live in a frantic state of acquisition. Because you keep trying to get things into your life that God is trying to give you. But it's hard when you're living like a fool to see the wise choice. See, Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that there's a stupidity and a madness. Have you ever felt like you were going mad because you didn't trust God? And so you kept trying to do for God what God kept trying to do for you. See, there's a madness in folly. Because foolishness is a declaration that you're more trustworthy than God with your life. And I want you to know in your best moment, you're not the right choice when you're choosing between you and God. Doubt will cripple your life. It will make you a fool. You need to know, if you remember nothing else tonight, that God is good. And he has every good intention towards you. He's not trying to steal life from you. He's trying to give life to you. He's not trying to withhold from you the very best. He's trying to take from you what you have replaced the best with. And some of you, you're, you're good. Like you're just so like crafty. You didn't replace what God wanted with something really bad. You replaced it with something pretty good. Some of you are like really industrious and you've created a really good life. The problem is that it pales in comparison to the life God wants to give you. So you have to decide. This is not a battle between bad and good. This is a battle between what you can do for you and what God can do for you. Doubt will cripple you and make you a fool, but so will fear. Have you noticed that doubt and fear are like complementary? They seem to come together. I always thought it was odd that the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because it doesn't sound very inviting to fear God, right? I mean, usually we fear things that should be avoided, like fear a hungry tiger. 
don't go and hug it. Right? Run. And so when you hear that you should fear God, it seems like you should flee from God. See, most things that you fear, you want to flee. But here's a beautiful thing about the way we're constructed as humans. In the same way that pain tells us something is broken, fear tells us something is missing. And we have to decide what we're going to fear because whatever we fear, that's what has mastery over our lives. And we've said this many times, but what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. And so think about this. If you fear heights, you stay low. If you fear the dark, you stay in the light. If you fear people, you stay alone. If you fear the future, you live in the past. What you fear. Some of you fear rejection. And so you spend your whole life becoming what everyone else wants you to be and losing yourself in the process. But if you only fear God, then there's only one source that will shape who you are and will draw the lines of your freedom. See, when you fear God and nothing else, you are finally free. Because what the scriptures tell us is that perfect love casts out all fear. So when you fear only God, you're putting all your fear into the source of love, and he absolutely eradicates that fear and sets you free. But fear will steal wisdom from you. Because when you're afraid, you make your dumbest decisions. Have you ever figured that out? When you're afraid, you make decisions that make you look like a fool. And you know what the crazy thing is? I've discovered in my life, I've always been more afraid of the things that are least deserving of fear. Have you ever been so afraid of something, and then when you stepped into it, you realize, what was I afraid of? See, fear is an illusion. Fear is a shadow. Fear has no power except that which you give it. That's why I decided in my life, because I grew up incredibly fearful. I was afraid of everything. And, and I, I, I had two huge issues in my life. One, I was highly psychosomatic. I had all these psychosomatic illnesses. And so I decided I'm going to pretend I have no illnesses because I don't know which ones are real. So I'm just going to act like I'm always healthy. And I, I find out only when I'm in the hospital, you know, you were really sick. Okay, it's good to know. I like objective confirmation because I'm not going to let anything psychosomatic debilitate me. It's the same with fear. I was so fearful, I just decided whatever I'm afraid of, I'm going to lean into. I'm just going to go at that fear because I've been haunted by fear. And what I've discovered is as long as I let fear cause me to run, it's going to chase me down. And so I want to shorten the distance between the fear that chases me and run right at it. I've discovered that fear has no power. And fear will cause you to make decisions that are so foolish. You're afraid of the future. You're afraid of being alone. You're afraid of rejection. You're, you're afraid of never living up to the life that you long for. What is the fear that causes you to make such foolish decisions that you keep pulling the pin on the hand grenade and destroying your life? Even neurologically, when you're afraid, the part of your brain that works is the dumbest part of your brain. It's what some people would call the reptilian mind. You start acting like a lizard when you're afraid. You move into a survival instinct, and instead of asking, how do I thrive in this moment, you just ask, how do I survive in this moment? And then there's greed. Oh, let me read this. Psalm 
147.11 says, The Lord delights those who fear in him. Why? Who put their hope in his unfailing love. See, when you fear God, you're putting your hope in his unfailing love. Imagine making every decision going, I know God's for me. I know he loves me. And I know even if I make the wrong decision, he has an incredible way of making things right. You stop fearing making the wrong choice. I was just on the phone with someone, and they said, we don't know what to do. We have, we have thousands of options, and, and so we're just sitting here waiting until God tells us what to do. I said, well, I want you to know you've already made a decision. And what do you mean? I said, you're sitting there waiting. Where you're sitting is where you chose to sit. So why don't you do something while you're waiting? Something beautiful, something extraordinary, something courageous, something adventurous. See, a lot of us live our lives paralyzed going, I'm just going to wait until God shows you what to do. Well, if you're going to wait, do something awesome. If you're going to wait, do something noble. If you're going to wait, do something courageous. In fact, if you want to get God's interest and attention, do something so extraordinarily good that he has to jump in because you're an idiot (laughs) to do so much good. Like when you're sitting around, God doesn't have to jump in. He knows how to sit. But when you decide to go save the world, when you decide to solve some issue of human suffering, I have a feeling God will jump right in and go, I love that. You're not good at that, but I'm going to move you. And, uh, Because it's a lot easier to guide a wild stallion than a dead horse. (laughs) And then there's greed, which I find is a grenade that we just keep pulling the pin on. Proverbs 28, 25 says, the greedy stir up conflict. Isn't that an interesting connection? The greedy stir up conflict. But those who trust in the Lord will prosper. There's a connection here. See, the reason we're greedy is because we do not trust that God will prosper us. Greed is essentially taking for yourself what God has not intended for you. It's so much more than money, but by the way, it is money. But it's so much more than, have have you ever met someone who's greedy in a particular area? You know, they always take that last slice of pizza. They offer, but they don't mean it. You ever been around that person? See, there's a subtle greed in the world. Have you ever been with people who just never offer to pay for lunch? But they're always at that lunch. Because they know you're going to offer. But that's not even the worst kind of greed. You know what the worst kind of greed is? It's people greed. Have you ever noticed that she's a lot more attractive when she has a boyfriend? I'll let that sink in just for a minute. That he is so much more attractive when he has a girlfriend. It's, it's amazing how unattractive we are when we're alone. Our value increases when someone else wants us. Because it ignites the greed in the other person. I love this little declaration I saw this past week. Let me be clear. God will never send another woman's husband as your answer to prayer. I love that. I thought that was really good. See, what we have is we have a culture of greed that justifies our taking whatever we want because we want it. And we think that wanting is the ethic. I want it. So what's wrong? Because it's not yours. Greed creates conflict. 
We live in a crisis of greed in our society. And it just seems to me so, so tragic that those of us who have the most are so oftentimes the least willing to be generous in the world. Have you ever been around a person who has more than you? You're going, that's everybody. <laughs> See, I, what I know, because they did the survey of Mosaic, one-third of you make less than $20,000 a year. One-third of you. I have a feeling that whole third is here tonight. <laughs> and when we saw that, we thought, man, you guys are so awesome. I mean, you're, you're barely making $20,000 a year in the most expensive city virtually in the United States. And you're here because you're pursuing great dreams and you're, 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 you're trying to live out your, 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 the life that you imagine. You're trying to make your art, your career. Some of you are pursuing things and you're working at, at, at coffee shops that you can't even afford the coffee in. You're working part-time. And I just want to know, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of you for risking and sacrificing. And yet, this is the reality. While you have nothing, you will establish the essence of your soul that will be reflected when you have something. See, if you allow yourself to go, well, I don't have anything, so I can't give anything, you're going to become a dead end. Because you establish the principle of generosity in your life early. And it's not simply that someone needs you to be generous, it's that you need a generous spirit to actually live a wise life. Greed makes you a fool. You always try to take things that are not yours, claim things that were never intended for you. Back to the person who has more than you. Have you ever thought, oh, you know, that person, they're like so rich. They're just like, they're just not good people, right? Because you know the person who makes more than you is evil, right? <laughs> That's just a bad human being. That's how they got so much. Because if they were as good as you, they'd be as poor as you. <laughs> you, know, you know, what's really frustrating for me is when I meet people who are incredibly wealthy, and they're better people than me. I go, darn it, give me something, man. You know? <laughs> if you're going to have a bigger house and more cars and, and you know, $100 million, be, like, arrogant. Like, be a jerk. Do, be something that makes me feel better about me. But, but the reality is that, is that so oftentimes the person who actually creates wealth discovers along the way that greed makes them a fool. And what we oftentimes don't see is that there's a spirit and a posture of generosity that has allowed them to become a wellspring of wealth. See, God wants to pour out his generosity in our lives, but he doesn't want us to think it's all supposed to be for us. This past week, I was just marveling. You don't know this, most of you, but when we started the foundation last October for Mosaic and started inviting and calling each other to give, We've seen about two and a half million dollars come in to Mosaic. It's been incredible. And, but let me tell you the crazy thing. Only about a half a million of it came from us. Because we make $20,000 a year and less. <laughs> People started emailing us and calling us from around the country and other countries. Saying, 
We want to be a part of what Mosaic is doing. Start getting emails, people going, where do I send my, my 100,000? Here? <laughs> I, I, at first, I didn't even know how to answer. I don't know. But I'll, 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 I'll know soon. And people just started being generous to us. And it would have been so easy for them to say, you know, that, that's, that's on them to do their thing. They're in L.A. I'm not in L.A. And yet what happened was their generosity poured into us. And I was walking around this week going, we need to find organizations that we can pour into and places in the world that we must pour into because what we want God to know is that we are not the Dead Sea. That if he entrusts us with things that we will always be generous and make sure it goes out to the world as well. And when you begin to live like that, it moves you toward a level of wisdom that you never have to come back and say, what was I thinking? You need to be careful because the things that you love the most, when you're greedy, you squeeze the life out of them. And when you're generous, you breathe life into them. But just one last grenade. When James promises us wisdom, he goes on in verse 20 and says this. He says, because man's anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, one of the grenades that we pull is doubt. The other grenade we pull is fear. The other grenade we pull is greed. But this last grenade is anger. And I've been watching what's been happening on a political level and I, I've just been so distraught and disturbed. And, and it concerns me that we're watching anger and violence become normative in our culture. And what we need to realize is that anger is like a seed that you put into the soil. And then it creates a harvest later of violence. Listen again to what the scriptures tell us. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's something God is trying to create in us. He's trying to make us a certain kind of human. He's trying to teach us how to be people of compassion and kindness. He's trying to move us to be people of integrity. He's trying to move us to where we're whole and complete. And he's telling us that anger destroys our future because it actually plants the wrong kind of seed. In Proverbs 19.11, it says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Have you ever been so angry you just could set yourself on fire? See, when I grew up, I had an out-of-control anger. I used to punch walls, try to put holes into them. I mean, I, I, I was one of those people that it was real quiet. I didn't yell. I didn't show anger. And then I exploded. And it was a dangerous thing. I had all this pent-up anger, all this frustration, all this violence that I had given a home inside of my soul. And, and what's interesting is the scriptures tell us that anger is not a sin. It's what we do with that anger that can become constructive 
or destructive. See, there are things that should make you angry in life. In fact, so many times when we have these moments here, I'll, I'll talk to Joe or I'll talk to John or I'll talk to Emerson or, or Aaron, whoever it will be, and I'll say, what are you angry about? Because you should be angry about injustice. You should be angry about poverty. You should be angry about homelessness. You should be angry about so many things. But that anger cannot cause a reaction. It must cause an action. See, that anger should never control you. It must not be your master. And if you want to live a life of wisdom, you will never allow anger to rule over you. Because I can tell you, just like with doubt and fear and greed, anger will leave you asking the question, what was I thinking? The worst things I've ever said in my life came when I allowed anger to unlock the darkest part of me. The things I have regretted the most in my life happened when I allowed anger to have mastery over my soul. What I've had to learn over a lifetime. And I love this phrase, a person's wisdom yields patience. But listen to this. But it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. You know what it means? It's that you are not weak when you forgive. It is to your glory when you overlook an offense. See, the problem with anger when it turns to rage and violence is that it always feels right. It feels justified. And it makes you feel powerful. And you are powerful like a grenade that you've pulled the pin and shoved it in your mouth and think you're going to kill everyone else. But you're just destroying your own soul. My hope for you, for all of us, is that we can look back on our lives and go, I love the choices I've made. I'm proud of the decisions that I've made. I've lived my life with wisdom guiding the way. Yesterday I had my phone in my hand and suddenly I realized this app that I didn't even know I had had been opened by me. And it was a compass. I didn't even know I had a compass. I love compasses. And so when my app was open to compass, I thought, this is so cool. So I'm in the house, but I start going, I wonder where Due North is. And so I, and, and I started going around. There it is. Due North is right toward my bedroom. And, and I, this, is, this is what's beautiful about a compass. That's different than a map. See, most of us want God to give us a map that tells us how to live a life of wisdom. But he does. He just gives you a compass. Because the world changes so much and life is full of so much turmoil and, and the future is nothing but mystery and you cannot get a map to tell you how to live the life that is waiting for you. But you need a compass. And that compass that due north is the character that you allow God to form in you. And when you allow God to fight the battle and win the battle of your soul, when you allow that wisdom to change you from the inside out, it's amazing. The world can be in turmoil. Everything can turn pitch black. But you have this due north that always guides you forward. And then when you look back, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. 
Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. The things I've talked about tonight, doubt, fear, greed, anger, that steal from us wisdom. Have you figured out that they're so deep inside of us that they're impossible to get out on our own? That's why we need Jesus in our life. Because only God can change what is inside of us. And by the way, that's why Jesus came. That's why he was crucified, why he rose from the dead. So that you and me could finally live the life that God created us to live, fully free. If you're here tonight, And you know that what you need is Jesus in your life. You finally see it. You finally get it. It makes sense to you. You don't have all the answers, but you know you need this answer. If you're ready to cross that line of faith and give your life completely to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer tonight. It's a simple prayer. But I want to know that you're here and that you're ready to make that choice. So I want you to hold your hand up high and just let me see you and say yes tonight. I choose to give my life to Jesus. Beautiful. Anyone else? Beautiful. Anyone else? Beautiful. No. Just raise it up right now. Beautiful. Anyone else? Right now. Just hold it up high. I want to see you. So many of you all over the room. Anyone else? Because, you know, you may have a lot of grenades with the pins pulled out. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he will come and he'll fall in those grenades. And he'll make sure you live and that you thrive. Anyone else want to lead you in prayer right now to give your life to Jesus? Beautiful. Anyone else right now? Man, so good. All right, let's pray together right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you everything. I know you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your life in me. From this day forward, I belong to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for those who in this moment have just said yes tonight. I choose Jesus. I give my life to him. I pray that right now you would Just wrap them up in your love. Let them know that you have heard their prayer. That today is the beginning of a life into a beautiful future. There's some of you here tonight and you have a relationship with Jesus. But man, you just keep pulling the pin on the grenade. It's time to stop living a life of foolishness start living a life of wisdom. It's time to put an end to what was I thinking, thinking. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Just hold up your hand and go, yeah, it's me. I just keep pulling the grenade. I just want to pray for you real briefly. Anyone else? Father, I pray for those who are like, yeah, that's me. I just keep making self-destructive decisions. Just keep making choices that that cripple me and the people around me. 
But tonight, I, I want to choose a new life. I want to live a life of wisdom. I want to make choices that make my life better and the people in my life better and the world better. I pray, God, that tonight they would find courage and resolve to live well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together what we could never do alone. Go to mosaic.org slash give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.